Rogers, how are you? How was your weekend? It was good. It's never long enough, but it was good. Got, again, played a little golf. Had a little bit of had to watch a little bit of volleyball. It's camp season, so my daughter is jumping from club to club and going to tryouts and open gyms. So, but it was good. That's how'd your fun. how'd your table turn out? Yes, did I did a little painting? DIY project um, when we were talking earlier, and uh, I think good. I mean, again, I'm sure that people that are do DIY all the time would have a little bit more feedback for me, but it <laughs> met my expectations. <laughs> and again, I was up there. It was beautiful weather. I'm outside. I think I can make the table last a couple more years. Good. Um, so it's good. And then I had friends in town as well. So we got to do a little bit of play. Um, I didn't do the table until they left, but yeah, we got to walk around Chicago and um, we went to a few stores. I don't know if anyone's ever been to Italy. It's a large grocery store and it has like four or five restaurants inside it um all italian based nice and so they have them i think in a lot of the major cities around the u.s and uh fantastic we had a good time so a little food a little drink and uh definitely a lot of catching up which was great that's cool i yeah. love that restaurant business model it's great for our family because we all like different things you can walk in and everybody can go to their own own kind of booth and get the kind of food they want so yeah cool. and it's a fun grocery store too so there's some takeaways where we were going to grill that evening so we got stuff to just make a little bit of a smorgasbord they have a great tiramisu so I always get it and you know we all just get spoons and dive in <laughs> that's great that was great well cooker I'm I'm excited uh our audience gets to hear our conversation with Dr. Rich Dunsworth and for those of you that don't know Rich um, he is the president at the University of Ozarks in Arkansas. And, and we talk about this in the podcast when we talk to him that, you know, I, I think people that don't live in Arkansas have kind of an impression of the state. And, and I think Rich kind of blows up that perception that people have. And he's, he's been the president there for 10 years. Before that, he was the vice president of enrollment at University of Millican, where he and I met 25 years ago and had become fast friends and were, or became fast friends. And um, as I told you at the beginning of when we started talking this morning, um, if I was ever elected president of the United States, he would be my first hire. I, I think he he would be an unbelievable secretary of education just because of his compassion, his knowledge, his wisdom, um, the way he teaches critical thinking. And, and uh, I think uh, our audience is going to really love this conversation. Yeah, I think he really walks the talk. And so the, the leading authentically, it comes out for me. And I think that's encompassing of, you know, being strong in your conviction knowing your blind spots, open to diversity and opinions, um, building a diverse team intentionally, and also just, you know, being vulnerable, like having that authenticity to, to know what you know, don't know what you don't know, unapologetically being who you are, but also open to, you know, challenge around your ideas. And it's, I just phenomenal. So yeah. He's, he's definitely not afraid to surround people with him that will challenge him and be smarter than him or um, have different experiences than him. And I, 
you and I have both found those those are the greatest leaders. And um, he's definitely a significant human being. And and um, and I think everybody's gonna enjoy it. Here's our here's our conversation with Dr. Rich Dunsworth. Enjoy. Rich Dunsworth, so great to have you. Um, I know you just had commencement, what, a week ago, two weeks ago? That's exactly right. Uh, one of my favorite days of the year is uh, standing, handing diplomas to people. So, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you, what what's your what's the favorite time of the year when kids come back to campus or when you get to get rid of them for, for two months? <laughs> hey, watch it. We don't get rid. It's an 80-year relationship. They just move to <laughs> alumni. That's right. Yeah. And maybe trustees at some point, right? Rich? Maybe trustees. That's exactly right. So, but you get you at least get two months where you're not getting phone calls at three o'clock in the morning, right? That is that is true. So um, now that that yes, I love fall, but there there's something really special um, to what I tell students. It's from the time their name is announced till they get to me, it's about eight to ten seconds, and we're small enough for me to kind of flip the Rolodex in my head. And for some students, the Rolodex is still going by the time they get to me. For some students, there are only a few images, um, but it's, it's, it's my favorite. Um, oh, you know, about half of our students are first gen. Uh, so knowing that, that they're potentially not only changing their life, but the life of their family or the trajectory of their family, uh, it's an amazing thing to be standing there handing diplomas. You know, I, I, you can't think of the University of Ozarks over the last 10 years without the phrase first generation popping up. I don't think there's, you, you can't go to your website, you can't talk to the staff, can't talk to the students. And every conversation you and I have had, it's always come back to first generation. T talk a little bit about what a first generation student means to you, why you've made it a priority. Yeah. Um... I think some, to some degree, Matt, it was, it was an accidental uh, convergence of experiences, thoughts, ideas, values, or maybe it was very intentional by our board of trustees. Um, when I was selected here uh, nearly 11 years ago, we've been on the ground 10, I didn't know that it would become that central of a point. Uh, and, you know, as I started to realize more and more of our students were first generation, uh, started to realize that a fair number of our faculty and staff were first generation. Uh, and then I talked about it at the inauguration a year in or April of that first year and, and found that it really resonated with people and that, the, you know, the, the stats are still pretty mind blowing. Um, nationally, only about 35, 36% of the, the US population has an undergraduate degree globally. Only about eight percent of the world's population has a has a bachelor's degree, and we're thirty percent international. So when you talk about being first gen, it's still about half of our half of our crowd, half of our people, and and I think representation matters on so many different fronts. So for me to say, hey, I was Pell eligible as a college freshman, hey, I was the first to to complete, um, it's it means something. Um, I'm now able to talk, my older sister um, came home after the first year. Now she completed years later and, and eventually got an MBA and did all these amazing things, but I hadn't had the opportunity to have very many success stories to show me the way to go to college. Uh, and I think it's important to tell students that, that they're not alone. 
um, in whatever that looks like. And so I've stepped into that space and said, hey, here's what it looks like, but you've got a whole lot of faculty and staff around here that, that have that similar experience. With fewer and fewer kids going to college right now, I mean, enrollment numbers are dropping across the country. We're seeing universities and colleges close the doors more than I've ever seen. How important is it to be marketing to those kids and families that don't have that college background where mom and dad and grandpa and grandma didn't go to college? How, how valuable is that for a school? I think there are a couple of things there that I, I did a session two weeks ago with seventh graders and a young man who looked an awful lot like me at seventh grade. He was in jeans and boots and you know, ball cap, uh, a trucker cap, I think it's what they're called now. Um, we just called them caps back then. Um, and I said, what, what about you, young man? He says, I'm not going to college. I'm going to go to XYZ school um, and get my associates uh, in trades. And I said, well, let's, have you been to that school before? And he says, sure. And I said, what's the last word in the title of the school? And he just looks at me and he's like, what do you mean? I said, when you pull in the gate, what's the last word in the title of the school? And he said, I don't know. And I said, I do. The last word's college. You're going to college. It's a different college. And he said, sometime we, somewhere along the way, we got trade licensure, HVAC is not college. Well, no, that is college. It's just different right? Whether you're going to the University of Colorado or Yale or Princeton or Stanford or going to a school like us, intentionally small in the Ozarks Mountains, or you're going to Arkansas Tech at Ozark down the road, you're all going to college. So one, I wish our national people would write more complete stories and not make it such a dichotomy of trades versus. So that's mm -hmm. one piece. And then the other is, yeah, we've, we've got fewer students going anywhere. And it's the, what are they doing, right? Some of that's employment. Um, some of that's also, I, I think about how we talk to students. I was working with a young man similarly, um, trying to convince him to, to go to one, a tech school to get an HVAC license because it's what he wanted to do. And a local national chain offered him more money than he ever could imagine making working at their 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 enterprise and he was going to make $21,000. Huh. And he he's giving up an HVAC license, an associate's degree because he can make $21,000 and that's more than he lives with his grandmother and it's that that what are we what are we saying? What are we selling? What are we saying to these young people? That's a amazing thing that you want to care for your grandmother. But if you're full forego 21,000 two years from now, we can double it. We can triple it. And that's the, the tension I see, Matt. And it's, it's how do we, how do we think about the future? And how do we think about education and college and, and giving people chances? It's, it's amazing what kids don't know what's out there, what they don't know what they don't know. You know, they think, well, this is this is the best I'm ever going to get. And they don't realize two years of associate's degree and they can make they can jump that, like you said, three times. They can make sixty, seventy thousand dollars if they just have the background and the understanding and the expertise to do it. So. And, I, and, and I think that's where why I started where I did. It's this false 
false dichotomy of what's school, what's not school, what's post high school. Now we've got some wonderful high schools that are building some pretty decent trades programs. Yeah. Um, but it's how do we, how do we, how do all of us in higher ed engage them to, to right. hit on your last piece on schools closing? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know the stories, so, but I see the number of schools closing with 50% more students than we have. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, you couldn't figure out how to do it at 1200 at 1400 and we're at 850. Well, you know, a year from now, you know, we'd modestly like to be at 900, which we think is a really 900 to a thousand is a sweet number for us. Um, and I just feel badly when I see, see those schools closing. Um, I also feel badly knowing that there are a whole lot of regional publics um, that are, that are, that are in no win situations, especially the rural regional public um, that, you know, they're too big to fail kind of situations, but, yeah. but what's going to happen over the next decade to them? Yeah. Rich, I think, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. A, I think there's probably more that we could do in the high school to educate of what could be, to your point. But then talk to me about that retention because schools are closing because they're not getting that retention. So once you get that student in, you mentioned your sister at the top of the you know, hour, once you get that student in, how do you, what are some things that you're doing intentionally to engage them, to make them feel like they can see the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, that well, I can't remember the title of the book that uh, was done by the, the president of, of Southern New Hampshire um, that, that talks about um, mattering. Mm. Like that, that, that how do we create enough spaces, enough opportunities for students to know that they truly matter mm-hmm. um, without becoming, you know, concierge services. Yeah. Right. That 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 that's one of the challenges is that that we have students that are coming thinking discomfort's a bad thing. Right. And and I think that's especially true if we put people in different groups, our young men, that right, if if they're challenged academically, challenged spiritually, challenged emotionally, challenged financially, it's my theory, hypothesis that they can handle about two of those challenges that you hit the third and they control the one thing they control and that's where they go to school. Yeah. And they, they, they move in the chain to where they feel less discomfort. Well, anybody in higher ed, anybody in education knows that at the precipice of that discomfort is usually a significant turning point, a significant opportunity for learning and growth that we don't grow from always being comfortable. So it's how do we create enough support? How do we help moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and cousins and everybody else know that, hey, Matt's gonna have challenge. It might be in October of his first semester. It might be in April of his second semester or heck, it might not come till his sophomore year. But just because there's a discomfort, it doesn't mean failure and it doesn't mean they have to change schools. Speaking of failure, failing a class does not have to be a sentence. I talked to freshmen about failing a class spring semester of my freshman year of college. Uh, and it's the funny things I laugh at now. I, I never walked in my advisor's door and said, hey, I'm struggling. 
I, I never raised my hand and said, Hey, I'm struggling. Yep. And it's, it's laughable now, you know, three degrees, 30 years <laughs> later going, well, what was I not listening? You know what? I mean, I know what an advisor is. I know what a counseling center is. I worked at an, or I went, attended an institution with all the support in the world, but I never thought to say, yo, uh, you turn the lights out on me in math somewhere my spring semester. And that's what it felt like. They just turned the lights out. So to answer the question directly, it's creating as many possible touch points so that a student is not afraid to ask for help is not afraid to walk in anybody's door and say, something's not right. Um, you know, that, that I feel like I missed a chapter of the book. Okay, well, then let's figure out what that chapter was. Or, oh, you know, I'm, I, I use lots of stories when I joke with students. For me, that's insurance. I feel like insurance companies just remove one chapter and only give it to some people. Luckily, my wife has that chapter, right? <laughs> Because health insurance is one of those things that I'm like, I just, I struggle with. And of course, again, people will laugh and they go, hold it, you're, you're running a how many million dollar organization and insurance? I'm like, folks, it's just, it's a blind spot for me. Um, not completely, but I, I'll leave it to other people. Uh, it's helping students understand, hey, you're not alone. Um, hey, um, find, find a couple of friends. Uh, you know, the same, uh, same tool or, or metric that applies in management applies to higher ed, I believe. The two people you spend the most time with, they're either going to make your job really, really happy or you're going to sit around complaining about it all the time. Mm -hmm. Same thing for school. The two people you're spending the most time with, they're either going to pull you towards commencement, they're going to pull, pull you towards success in the classroom or on the court or on the field, or they're going to pull you to something less successful. Who are they? And when in doubt, let me explain to you all these people that are here simply to enjoy your success. Why do they sit beside you at commencement? Because they take great joy in seeing you receive a degree. And still at the end of all of that, Beth, um, we, we still hover at the seven out of 10 are here for their sophomore year. Now we have made some great strides in completion we're worried about 52 to 54% are completing. I'd love to get that seven out of 10 to eight out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. Rich, we've, you and I've talked about this a lot over the years and, and I, and we've both seen it now with teenagers. It's amazing how a negative experience can keep a kid from raising their hand and saying, I'm afraid to ask that question where every time I ask, I get blown off. You know, I'll ask my daughter, I'll go, you're struggling with this. What do you say when you, when you're, when you tell your coach you're struggling, she, she just told me to keep working hard. Well, that's not an answer. You know, so how do you, how do you take your staff? You have a huge staff. How do you get them to buy into that, that even sometimes the smallest touch can make the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you get a community of faculty and staff to believe in that mm -hmm. and to understand that? I think part of that, Matt, is that that that, that happens in in hiring, and that 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 you have to be willing to to say no to the perfect candidate if they don't fit your culture. Yeah, and and luckily most of that culture was already here. Um, 
I spent a lot of time my first couple of years talking about muscle memory and, mm -hmm. and, and asking, you know, what is our corporate muscle memory? Our corporate muscle memory for the last decade is shrinking. So, you know, my first year I said, how about this? We're not going to shrink and we're not going to grow. And folks were like, but we've been trying to grow for 10 years. And I said, well, great. How about this year? We just maintain. Could we break the muscle memory? Maybe going from shrinking to growing in one cycle is too much. What would it look like if we simply stopped shrinking? Retention. You know, for us, it's a couple of students, 3%. Um, fought it for about eight years. And finally, a year and a half ago, we have a vice president for student success. She's over student affairs. She's over academic um, support services. She is sometimes ombudsman, sometimes cheerleader, sometimes nurse mom. I mean, she's, she's setting strategy, but working with her team and a whole lot of, of uh, crosstalks across campus going, what, what might it look like? And then the other piece is that, that, that I'm not prepared to say everybody needs a life coach. But I am prepared to, to use the coaching metaphor more and more. Uh, and I'll do that. I, I get the chance to meet with college freshmen um, throughout the course of the first semester. We have dinner in small groups of 20. And I'll ask how many, how many student athletes are in the room. And usually for it's about 40%. And I'll say, hey, how many of you have been in coaches' offices? And all your student athletes, your freshman student athletes raise their hand. They know where coach's office is. They've been to him they or her and they've met the, the office manager. They know the athletic trainer. They know the staff. Cool. How many of you have been across the threshold of all five faculty members' doors? Most of you have five faculty. Once in a while, one or two people. Hmm. How many have been in four? How many have been three? How many have been two? How many? And it's usually maybe one. And I'll juxtaposition the two and go, why is it we're not afraid to walk in the coach's door and make sure coach knows who you are? What if he approached all faculty the same way? Put me in coach. And he said, here's why I want you to think about faculty as coach. They have research dollars. They have student engagement dollars. Many of them have student assistants. Well, don't you think that, that it's as simple as you knowing who they are because then they know who you are? We, we've, we've got a weird mind frame of, we will ask coach, what do I need to do to get playing time? Coach, what do I need to move up on the depth chart? Why don't you ask the same coaches questions of faculty? They'll be drooling, right? My faculty would drool if every freshman lined up at the door and said, hey, what, what do I need to do better? What do I need to, I want to be your go-to person to tutor your class next year and it's 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 in convincing students that office hours are for them it's convincing students that faculty especially faculty at schools like this for whatever reason they're not going to knock on dorm doors and i don't want them to i don't want my faculty walking down the hall knocking on doors but they're just sitting there for a student to raise their hand and go would you please help me so matt i if I break that nut, I'll be writing books and be on a lecture. No, I won't. <laughs> I, I, I say I'll be writing books on a lecture circuit, but nah, I'd just be back here teaching more students how to do it. So I'm curious. I love this. I mean, you mentioned culture fit, but you also mentioned earlier, sometimes you just have to know where your strengths and weaknesses are. And so just you, you have to be aware of 
your blind spots, which I think you mentioned yeah. earlier. So talk to me about, and I do this with the corporate America of you want to make sure you're surrounding yourself with a diversity of perspectives to make you ultimately better. And sometimes that's hard to be a leader of people yeah. that are different, meaning they're always like, Hey, I, I'm going to throw a stone in that. And you're like, can you not inside? <laughs> but you're like, I want that to, so we can be better. So when you're doing the culture fit, how do you protect that interview process to say, I don't want it similar to me because it feels easier and we all feel and think the same, but I want a level of that, but I want a level of differences so that we are challenging ourselves to what Matt said earlier. You know, when you have that faculty member said, listen, you're not fitting in, quote unquote, is it me? Do I need to switch the way I'm thinking? Or is it a different conversation we need to have? Like, how do you do that interviewing for culture fit to make sure you're not leaning towards everyone looks and thinks the same? Oh, fabulous question. Um, so by the time I sit down with, with this year, we I sat down with all of our faculty search committees and, and, and we talked about this. I said, before you review any resumes, can we talk about what civil discourse and debate looks like? Mm, I like that. And I said, the reason why I'm saying this is I think um, in some of our groups, we don't have enough healthy debate. Now, there are always jokes that they'll flip back at me and go, yeah, that's because you want to see more debate. I'm like, well, I want to see healthy discourse. I want to see, see what, what it's going to take for us to be the very best. Now, at a small institution, you know, we have 58 faculty. One of the things that, we, that, that I've proffered to my colleagues is that the belief that if I took the time to do research, I think it requires three people per discipline. Because then if you've got three different people teaching religion, by the time you get to the junior level, you're hearing different thoughts. You're hearing, seeing different worldviews so that you're better prepared. Now, not all of our departments can be that big, but when we are pushing them, it's, it's, it's attention, right? Hey, we're going to add that third, going to add that fourth. Let's make sure they complement right? But they can't be exactly the same. Now, Beth, one of the things that, that, that maybe sets us apart a little bit is that the ideas of, of justice, social justice, diversity have been in our ethos before those words were ever, before those words were used the way they've been used over the last decade. Okay. And in ours, that's a lot of firsts that, that, the, the denomination, the, the institution believed, hey, why don't we educate women long before that became kind of normal? Similarly, historically underrepresented, then it was African-American. Hey, shouldn't we? Ought we? You know, shouldn't we integrate athletics? Shouldn't we do this? Shouldn't we work with neurodiverse learners? Shouldn't we, ought we? So it, it's funny when, when we have new people come in and go, hey, why don't we have a diversity X, Y, Z? Why don't we have a DEIJ initiative? And I go, look at our charter. I mean, it's, it's been in who we are for nearly 200 years. Yeah. If, if you don't fit that, we're not a good fit for you. Also, if you feel like you need to take it on, well, maybe you're not a good fit for us either. And, it, it, and it's, it's helping people understand, hey, there's room, great. 
there's there's space um but we don't have to do it from a from a point of fighting right that it's civil discourse it's debate it's discussion and it has to be grounded in the curriculum and it has to be grounded in the mission and and values of the institution uh and if folks can't see themselves in it um everybody deserves to be happy at work go be happy somewhere yeah it's that simple sometimes and there have been some of those tough conversations um as we've leaned into our faith as an institution um and 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 sometimes that's helping people remember what presbyterian is right that, that we don't serve very many presbyterians but it's why we do what we do mm -hmm. right it's it's how we do what we do um and because the numbers aren't there um but it's again it's still grounded in that presbyterian um tradition christian tradition yeah. it's our dna yeah right and and it doesn't mean you know i had, had a great conversation with a faculty member once that that after about two years here she says you make me nervous actually she cloaks it she said some of us are nervous and i said why is that she said when you use the word christian it sounds like a verb and I said, thank you. And she says, I don't know that that's a good thing. And I'm like, well, let's talk about this. And she's like, well, I define myself as atheist that teaches in a discipline that's science, high science. And I said, well, do you tell your students they have to be an atheist to take your class? And she laughed and she's like, that would be ridiculous. I'm like, right. Teach science. Teach, teach what you do. That's why you're here. Yes, there's room for that thought. But also knowing your journey, you didn't become that, or you're not, you weren't born that, you became that. You were raised in the church. You you you, you like science and that's how you make sense of the world. Cool. Let's let's help create those paths so students can make sense of the world. Yeah, going back to that critical thinking and and challenging and discussion. I think that's right. Great. It's what makes me so nervous when I read some of the highlights. Um, of what's going on in some of the states around the country where we're defining what should be taught well i think some of that's out of fear mm -hmm. right some of that's quite honestly out of ignorance well if we have to define what can and can't be taught in really prescriptive ways we're, we're hobbling our teachers right i would rather hire an exceptional teacher and then go hey that's your domain right if the teacher is the problem then you make a change with the teacher you don't change the curriculum and say you can only teach this little bitty sliver of history or this little sliver of of sociology it it's it, it it's going to have dire consequences moving forward absolutely you mentioned healthy discourse among the faculty and trying to get that fit with you know the people that you're hiring and that are on your team is there anything that you're infusing in your curriculum exactly what you just talked about healthy discourse and discussions to you know almost create those functioning adults as they have a disconnect as they think yeah. differently than their friends and their peers as they learn more in the example you had of you know the the science professor how are they able to have those discussions in a way where it doesn't turn 
you know, nasty, you know, which yep. we've seen a lot, uh, you know, on the, and the news articles and headlines. I'll do a curricular response and then I'll do a cultural piece um, with, with our faculty and our community. Um, on the curricular piece, about six years ago, we changed our general education curriculum to where our students are, and, and, and I, I'm not supposed to say it this way, but I'm going to, our students have an 11 credit core. That's four classes, three, three credits, one, two credit class. That's the core. And then we've de designed our, our majors in three different, what we call lenses, um, ways of knowing. And our students have to major in one lens and they must at least minor in each of the others. So if you think about, so I'm majoring in biology, I must minor in the humanities and fine arts mm. and I must minor in the social sciences so that it's, yeah, I've got my, my, my primary home is, is a hard science, natural science, whatever the right language is, math, hold it. Wow, the fine arts people think a little differently than me. Oh, wow, the social sciences, they think a little differently than me too. Great, and then as you hit that junior year, roll into your senior year, you're starting to, to be forced to synthesize those different ways of thinking. That only works is if your faculty are also wrestling with that same realization, right? They've spent a decade getting a, well, six years, whatever. Let's say you've spent 15, the better part of your life to get to a tenured associate professor. And now they're going, wow, I need to, to be able to, to help my students make sense of the world in which we live. And they're also getting infused with more than a cursory knowledge in these other disciplines. Hmm. Then you move to our faculty and their faculty staff. There are a couple of things that that while we're recording this, I'm missing weekly stand up every Monday at 1145. Um, we have uh, what's called the community stand up and it started pre COVID where it really was stand up. It was in the rotunda. It's open 15 minutes questions. What are you curious about? It always opens with, what are you curious about? And anybody can lob anything out and we we respond. The highest ranking member of the administration hosts it every day or every Monday, usually that's me. During COVID land, we moved it to online and guess what, Attend, ten, uh, attendance increased fivefold. Wow. So we kept it online and it'll be 60 to 100 people. And it usually lasts 15 to 20 minutes. And it's it's a chance to rumor bust, mm. right? It came out of one of our vice presidents came to, to staff one day and she said, let me tell you what was said while I was getting my hair colored. And we laugh <laughs> and, and we just laugh and go, well, what would this look like? So we started that. Then, then a year ago, our faculty brought back something that used to be part of their culture and, and it's called um, discussion groups, where every Friday afternoon, they'll throw out a couple of topics. We have no classes after two o'clock on Fridays to support athletic travel. Um, the chance for them to miss a few less classes, we just said, let's stop. Um, and very few classes after 11 on Friday. So at two o'clock on Friday, they have discussion groups. Um, and it could be anything from curricular proposals that are coming forward to 
healthcare and benefits and and they're encouraged to simply talk to each other. Hmm. And then the, the, the final cultural piece is after those discussion groups, there may or may not be wine and cheese in a faculty member's office that's big enough to host wine and cheese for his and her colleagues. Uh, it's two faculty members side by side, they're senior faculty, uh, and they started hosting that a year ago. Great. And it's changed because they'll what we'll find, Beth, is that that folks will maybe get contentious in discussion groups. And then by the time they've finished a glass of wine and eaten some cheese that they didn't know they needed, they <laughs> wrestle with it a little bit more and they decide that maybe they don't hate each other. They just disagree. It's the old breaking your bread, right? You know, let's just have a conversation. This is a community that we, we, we get along with and then we can discuss and realize that we can walk away with different perspectives, but we were educated on those conversations a little bit more, which is great. Beth, it's shocking to me that, 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 that we struggle with that. Um, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. Uh, probably my second board of trustees meeting. Uh, we, we put a, a proposal up uh, there were, I don't know, let's say 25 trustees, 24 trustees, the, the motion passed 17 to, to seven or something like that. Cool. I, I, I got direction. I knew what we were supposed to do coming out of the meeting. One of the seven no votes comes up to me afterwards and he says, are you okay with me voting? No. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, okay. And, and it was obvious that it was really weighing on him. And I called him by name and I said, you, you voted your conscience. I said, my only problem is going to be if after this meeting's over, you go to the car and leave instead of joining us for the lunch that happens at the end. And he looks at me and he said, well, of course I'd, I'd go to lunch. And I said, great. It, it, as long as this body can handle a no vote, I don't take it personally, that, that it's when we only vote yes or only vote no and everything's unanimous, that's more troubling to me. Mm -hmm. The fact that one faculty member can vote no and 40 of their colleagues can vote yes, that for me signals healthy. I can vote no because I disagree. Cool. Yeah. And, and that I don't become the pariah and I don't become the person that gets cut from the herd. I still get invited to wine and cheese. I still get invited to lunch. That's healthy. I literally went on, it was so interesting. I went on a walking tour in DC a couple of years back, um, post COVID, but still when they were starting to slowly open things up. And one of the, the tour guides was saying the same thing. He, he thinks that because back in the early days when our country was starting, it took too long to travel and go back and forth. They had to like reside there almost like dormitories in a college. So you had all your politicians that would room together, eat together and, you know, debate together, but they couldn't leave. They couldn't just, like you said, vote no and walk out and not have lunch. Right. And they had to like then have the conversation and break the bread and have a meal because they're living and eating and breathing. They're not going away for three, four months. Right. And so he believes his perspective was, I think that's why we got things done quicker eventually, because you couldn't leave. You had to discuss, you had to have the conversation. And I think that's, there's some value there that maybe, you know, we could take and learn from as a leadership, you know, type of a thought process, right? Like let's I, break spread. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. 
that that um, <laughs> somebody uh, somebody proffered everything you just said and then added air conditioning. Yeah, well, there. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> and, and and you think about it, if you've been in DC, yeah, either heat or air, and you go, yeah, this would not have been a comfortable place to be, right? It, uh, for half the year, most of the year, it's not a comfortable place to be right. pre heating and air. Right. So yeah, you're sitting around a hot stove, probably drinking something more than water. And yeah, you debated. Yeah. Civil discourse and debate. And, and you had time to, to really understand things before the community heard it. Mm -hmm. Right. That that's one of the social media and, you know, that, that, that you have a sidewalk conversation and then it's on Twitter. You have a sidewalk conversation and then it's on Snapchat. You go, whoa, we didn't decide anything. We started a conversation about it. Agree. All right. I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone. Oh, great. Off of this. <laughs> all right. We, we all know what's happening down in Florida in the, with their public education. And, and you happen to be the president of a university in a state that isn't necessarily known for inclusion, social justice, DEI, healthy discourse. How do you handle that? Being who you are and everything you just talked about, how do you handle that being in the state you're in and where maybe the leadership in your state isn't preaching that discourse and that healthy discourse like you do. Mm -hmm. All right, Matt, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I and, and I understand you walk the line you need to, but I, no. and I told Beth this the other day, if I'm, if I'm president of the United States tomorrow and I have to hire a secretary of education, you're my first call. You're probably my first hire for my cabinet because I can't imagine a better person to counsel a president or counsel any person in leadership than you. So answer that question however you want, but I, I've known you for 25 years yeah. and I know how good of a heart you have and how inclusive you are. So I, I think it's intriguing to hear how you feel about living in Arkansas and being a leader yeah. and a teacher in Arkansas. So um, I, have a, I have a touch point and an anchor that, that helps me with that question. And, and sometimes folks suggest that it gives me a pass. So it's not the pass part, but I'll tell you how I answer. When, when folks go, well, 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 what about this? And what about that? It's my first confront to that was DACA. I'm standing in front of our alumni board. I get a question. This was 10 years ago about DACA students. And I said, I think we have uh, 11 is the last number I saw at that time. And somebody said, you know the number? And I said, oh, I not only know the number, I know the students. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, we have a fairly number, a fairly high number of, of, um, uh, of students here. And somebody says, well, they're undocumented. And I said, well, let's first, let's clarify. DACA is not undocumented. They, they are known, they have names, we know who they are. Their, their immigration status is, is, is a challenge. You recruit them and I said, we enroll them because they're graduating from Clarksville High School. They're graduating from Alma High School. They're graduating from Darnell. They're, we know where they're graduating. These are families. These are young people. 
well, you shouldn't be doing that. And then I'll get the, the, the lecture about politics. And I said, well, let's, let's trace this back a second. What year did Arkansas become a, become a state? What, huh, what? I said, the University of Ozarks traces its roots to Cane Hill School, which was created two years before the lines were drawn. Hmm. The Presbyterians were in this space, building schools, doing mission work, doing mission work, when this was simply a territory. More specifically, the Arkansas, or the Oklahoma Indian Territory. They weren't here reaching out to what they already knew. They were reaching out to those they didn't know. So shouldn't we? you know, live our history, lean into that space, mm. right? That our goal was to, to educate, to teach. Our goal is not to tell people what to think. And our goal is not to tell people how to vote. So when we think about DEIJ, when we think about, you know, whichever way we're thinking about it, we lean into that. Now, luckily, again, I have some great history to fall back on. I can talk about integrating athletics before the other schools in the state did without the sit-ins that they saw at Central High and Little Rock. Right. Now, we have challenges and, and we know the stories from, from that integration. And, and we did a documentary, a mini documentary on it a couple of years ago. Um, but it's, it's luckily I have the, the, the backing of, of most of our alums every now and then somebody will go, well, well how, how do they? And I go, hey, they, whoever the they is, is not taking somebody else's seat, right? We're a niche institution and, and I don't have to exclude some to meet my enrollment, whether that's neurodiverse, first generation, historically underrepresented, or for a while we had a large student population from Haiti up until the, 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 the most recent challenge. We're here to educate um, and we wanna be in that kind of space. The politics of Arkansas has made it a little bit harder to hire especially for, for faculty who want to teach in a highly diverse environment. Um, um, and and we, we know that. Uh, so we, we have to talk about it. I can't shy away from what's going on in Little Rock and, and, and going, you know, uh, folks want to take jabs at our governor uh, for, for what they think she did or didn't do in D.C., as a governor, she's receptive. As a governor, her staff takes our phone calls. That's what she's supposed to do. Um, and, and other than that, I try to stay as apolitical as possible. Even though, Matt, I know we talked about this, I get labeled a liberal. And I, you, <laughs> you joked earlier before we got on the line about where I sat. I'm like, yeah, but you'll laugh at what people assume. Yeah. People assume I am so far left, and I'm like, uh, no, I, 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 I don't. But anyway, you must because you're you're at a liberal arts college. The word liberal has become so distorted. Yeah, yeah. I was just writing about the word progressive today, and oh my goodness, and and I I keep I, I keep going back with with those words and pulling out Marion Webster and go, here's what it means. It means advancing improving wanting knowledge you know so i i, I hear you it, what it, i i held my head on that one matt because we were working on a on a 
update to a plan maybe five years ago. And it had progressive in, in it. <laughs> and we, we used it to modify leadership uh, and, and ideas. And we were talking about that we wish to step into this space and be a little more, a little more assertive in, in how we think about higher ed. And it was a 25 page document. Nah, that's not true. 18 page document. My board chair calls me and he's like, you can't take this to the entire community. (laughs) He was a good friend. We lost him a couple of years ago. I'm like, Doug, what are you missing? What's the issue? And he's like, page one, progressive. And I'm where you are, Matt. I'm like, it means to progress. It means to advance. It it means you're gonna you're gonna put your shoulder to the wheel and you're gonna push. Yeah, but you can't use that word. Oh my goodness, is this yeah. where we've gotten? And there are some words that they they're just so charged, and that's one of them. I'm like, it doesn't mean what. Never mind. Yeah. And I just go, never mind. Not I, not I can't fight over a single word in an 18 page document. That's right. Yeah, let's not lose the plot. Let's, let's just, not wait, yeah, let's not lose enough? the plot. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're advancing. We're this, but it's it's your right. Words like liberal, words like progressive, and you're going, wow, you know, the 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 liberal left or the liberal right. And it's like, wow, folks, there's a um was it, uh, I can't think of the, the HBO series that, that there's a great monologue on, when did we get identified with who we voted for last? Um, that I'm, I'm more complex than that. I am too, uh, yes. <laughs> or at least I hope I am. Mm-hmm. I, I, one quick question, and I, we really appreciate your time. This has been great, um, Rich. Um, you and I, you're a little bit ahead of me. You've got two 17-year-olds and a 19-year-old, and I've got almost a 14-year-old starting high school. And you're graciously being a contributor to my book that I'm, I'm, I've am I'm finished writing, and I'm very thankful for that. And I'm finding both of us are kind of in a, been in a similar situation the last couple of years where what, what we've been doing for a living, we now have children going through that process. What, what has, what have you learned as an educator now that your kids are going through that college process? Is there things that you're like, gosh, I wish I would have thought about that as a parent before. Is anything, has there been anything significant like that? Well, there's so many, there's so many, Matt. So, you know, first, all right. So we have the 19 year old and the, the, the two 17 year olds. So let's focus on the twins. Okay. The life experiences have been almost identical, Right since the day they were born, boy, girl. Yep. For one, she thinks her mother and I are leading experts, right? Because Holly was in financial aid before she became full-time mom. She will consult. Um, She's, hey, dad, what do you think about this? Hey, mom, what are my choices here? Her twin brother, um, I don't know, thinks I live under a rock (laughs) hey what what are you looking for well you can't possibly understand because i want to be division one like all right well guess what buddy my education came d1 no i didn't play run participate athletics but just because you're a d1 athlete doesn't mean i don't know anything um 
And just about the time that I think that, you know, he, he, he has no regard for what I do. His wife, my wife hands me her phone because I'm not on Instagram and showing me his recent posts where he's bragging about things at Ozarks. And I'm like, okay, well, well, maybe, maybe we do know a few things. No, now the, the, the one I think about the lessons learned, our daughter was recruited by a, a D, division three private faith-based institution, um, not ours. She was recruited by ours too, that blew me away, man. And, and, and what blew me away is, is how the coach, the academic discipline and the admission staff either have the best integrated database on the planet or they talked to each other right before talking to her right because it 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 was a seamless recruiting that i can only hope for as a former enrollment guy where hey the the nursing faculty said this and it 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 mirrored what the coach said and it mirrored what the admission person said and it it was this wow they're doing it well um other things that I've noticed, uh, I wish every student received the kind of support D1 athletes get. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our son's fairly bright, uh, going to, to, to Arkansas State, um, and we met with, with the team to, that's supporting him. And in my head, I'm going, hold it. You know, his parents both have graduate degrees, they're in this, and he's going to get this level of academic support. Well, how do we give that level of support to every first gen kid? Uh-huh. How do we give that level of support to every student who's not going to be wearing a jersey representing a school? So yeah, I I I think about those kinds of things. Um, we've got to make it easier. Um, we've we've got to help people understand the barriers that they think is a barrier probably aren't really there. Right. Uh, whether that's admission and financial aid and. You know, sometimes it's the admission process. You know, how many reference letters do you really need, and who's reading them? Right. You know, how many words do you really need to know whether you want this student or or not? Right. Um. Yeah, and it's 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 a crazy process, and I've been in it for a very long time, and I still look at it and go, what? Um. And then I see. All right, so we had. I'm going to get on a little bit of soapbox. We've emptied each of the twins' milk crates twice. And it's the mail that doesn't make it in the house. Um, they sort in the mail, they sort their mail coming in, and the amount of money that goes in the milk crate. And I then bring that into it's great market research. I bring that into my my marketing department and go, yep. this is the mail that didn't make it in the house. Yep. Learn yeah. what you can. Yeah, that's great. That's right. Yeah. And and you just go, and and then there's some, I think I've mentioned this to Matt a while back, there's some that target market so well. I'm like, no, you're not going to that school, but I agree with you. That's an, and it's where dad, I'm never going here, but look at this piece. Yeah. And they read every word, they go on their links and, and then they wonder why they're getting all this information. I'm like, because you flipped the flag. That's right. So it's right. Rich, we, we could talk to you all day and there's 20 different topics that we didn't go down today, but we're so thankful for your time. We, we have a quick rapid fire for you. Just 
fire off the answers. We got seven questions for you. First thing that comes to your head, and, and we want you to have fun with this. And if you're ready for it, Beth's going to get us started. All I'm right. ready, Rich. All right. No filter. First thing. No Just filter. Go. Just go. <laughs> so what job would you do if it wasn't doing what you're doing? Director of housing. What would you tell your 21-year-old self? Uh, hmm. Slow down. Uh, yeah. Spend more time with your grandparents. Yeah, good one. That's good. What's your favorite book or podcast that you're reading or listening to currently that you think is has some significant information that you're learning from? I'm struggling with the whole podcast thing, but I'm getting better at figuring that out. So it's not a podcast. Um, favorite, I'm going to do author that I'm encouraging anybody to read everything he's written, and that's Ibu Patel. Um, uh, Acts of Faith is is probably one of my favorite, but the, the ways of talking about pluralism in the United States uh, and understanding difference in religion that, that, that I think that, that if we understood it better, we wouldn't see the other as the enemy. Uh, and that, 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 that some of the tones I hear around religion make me, make me a little anxious. Hmm. Understood. Uh, do you have a go-to uh, comfort food? <laughs> Favorite meal when you're feeling down? Enjoy. Uh, my favorite go-to uh, is that, that, and I don't do it as often as I as I used to. I'll I'll make my grandmother's cinnamon rolls, uh, yeast rolls, and and just uh, take over the kitchen and 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 bake. Rich, we'll give you our address so you can send <laughs> some of those when you're in that mood. <laughs> they usually don't last more than a day. <laughs> uh, because I've noticed my children uh, like them too. So I want some of those to make the milk crate so you could just send them out. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me again, if you're kind of feeling down and you're flipping around the TV and you see that movie, what's that movie that you couldn't just switch away from? You're like, I'm going to have to watch it. And I've seen it a hundred times, but I got to watch it. All right. So Beth, it's like you asked my wife this, because when I answer this, people are going, what? <laughs> um, it, first, any John Wayne movie. I love it. Right. But the, the Cowboys is is one that if it's on, I can find it in 500 channels. It, <laughs> it, it, it just is. And then then you're really going to laugh. Sister Act one or two. Love it. Um any of the, the, that if I just want to tune out the, the eighties, John Hughes or any musical and the, our students that I'll use musicals when I do senior dinner and, and they'll go, what, huh? What you musical theater? I mean, I'm like, I can't dance or sing, but those are, you know, I have to. Uh, I, the kids will laugh because uh, Law and Order is my decompressed TV series. <laughs> because yeah. you know how it's going to end. Yeah. Yes, it always works out, which is right. good. But there's right. a little bit of a mystery that you're going to try to beat them to it. Yeah, there's a little bit of a mystery, but you, you you know, and and that yes, it's creatures of comfort. Um, I've read read more than a couple of articles about uh, 
you know, mental health. And yeah. that, that, that some of us, when we come home, I don't need a drama. I yeah. don't need, please, I can't invest any energy in what right. might happen. I need to know it's going to end Same. at the end of 50 minutes. That's right. One of I'm my nicknames you. is Disney because everyone's like, oh, yeah. the Disney and I was like, yeah, I just don't want the drama. I can get right. that in real life. I want to come home. And even if there's a little plot twist, I know right. it's worked out. It's okay. We're going to be okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> me and that's me and John Wayne. I have a, you know, throw an Afghan on <laughs> and kick off the shoes and the kids will laugh and go, you've seen this movie how many times? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it does not matter how many times I've seen McClintock. Yeah. It's still a good movie. Yeah. yeah. And they'll laugh at me and go, it is not a good movie. And I'm like, take that up with my father. You know, that's probably the John Wayne is my dad. That was his go-to at the end of the day too, was back on VCO. You know, yeah. you pop in the tape because anyway. Exactly. But yeah, the musicals are the ones that get people to laughing. Um, I'm going to go back to my statement earlier. If you're U.S. Secretary of Education for the day and you got one day to make one change, what would you do? I know that's not a rapid fire question, is it? I'd take a chapter out of um, Jonathan Kozol's book i cannot think of the 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 name of it um and rebalance how we fund and, and it's 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 the supreme court says we can't but you said i could do anything i yeah. would i would change how we fund primary education uh and invest in k k pre-k um up to fourth grade uh and 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 make sure that that students are reading grade appropriate by the time they hit fourth grade. I would, I would just, yeah, focus on the little guys. They gotta, they gotta be able to read, and 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 so many other things. Um, hold on, I get to do one thing, but no, you, I get to do, I get one day. So yeah. first is that, second is the arts, music, arts. Yeah. That, that, that we that there's so much about the way our minds learn that we need more little guy programs reading and and the arts and, and you mentioned uh paul paul blanc earlier i looked it yeah. up but i couldn't book, think of his I, first name i think the book you're talking about is broken right how our social it is broken failing us yep and i and that kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of the things you just mentioned yep yeah yep. It, it, it it is and you know as we know so much of our education is tied to zip code yeah. Right, it's it's tied to property taxes, and then we wonder why our communities are segmented, and we wonder why. And you look and go, hold it, that high school just built a forty million dollar athletics complex. Yeah. that's amazing for them. That's absolutely amazing for them. But how do we then ever invest in kindergartens? Right, right. How do we ever invest in reading programs? If in those neighborhoods, folks are just trying to figure out how to put food on the table. It's and your it's, pipeline, right? It's your yeah. pipeline of the young going to, how do they get to be in that $40 million gym if they can't get the start funding? Yeah. Right. Well, how, how do we exactly. encourage the talent to stay in teaching? You know, you know, there's so many great teachers out there that don't stay in teaching. 
That's exactly right. And that, well, and some of it's, it's, it's the feeling undervalued, underappreciated. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's where I know I definitely sound old. I remember vividly um, coming home frustrated with a teacher. I think it was in fourth grade. And I was told to be quiet and do what Mrs. McVeigh said. Yeah. Right. I mean, she was the expert. It is her classroom. Yeah. That doesn't happen as much as it used to, where the teacher's the expert, it's their classroom, it's their domain, and that we have faith in what they're doing. Yeah. And that if if I were a, a teacher being questioned regularly on what I'm doing, um, it'd be a hard, it'd be a hard gig to want to do that every day. Yeah. Yeah. That conversation's happening in my house almost weekly about how we treat teachers. And even if we disagree or we don't like how, we're, how it's going, how to handle it in a respectful way so they understand that I want to understand more, I want to understand better. And there's not enough parents teaching that, I don't think. Well, and I think it's about how what we, we get what we expect sometimes. Yeah. Uh, our, one of our children got in trouble, I don't know, just junior high. So Holly and I both, she calls, picks me up. We both go to the school, sit down to meet with the principal. And it freaked the principal out. And I'm like, well, well, you gave our kid a three-day in-school suspension. I appreciate you didn't ask to meet with us, but we want to know what happened and how we can support this and this and this. And it, it completely was a shock. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I don't know any better. Yeah. What do you expect from, from us at home? And it was this, it was just weird. And then, you know. Yeah. We were new to the community and going, our kids getting three-day in-school suspension. It must have been really, really bad. Um, now, you know, and it's, it's, it's how, do we, how do we think of parents as partners? How do we think about that it's that we want our families involved more than just being athletic boosters? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's how do we do this? Yep. Well, one final rapid fire question. I mean, we've given you some heavy ones near the end here, but for anyone listening to this podcast, what's the one piece of significant advice that you would give back that from like now in your seat today that you think you're like right now, this I think is the most important advice that I want to relay to the listeners. Invite people to invest in you. Mm. And, and it's, it's active. It's not passive. It's, it's you ask. And I've got names, Doug, invest in me, Sherilyn, invest in me, Lori, invest in me, Buck, invest in me. You ask people into your life to invest in you and that it's not forever. I mean, sometimes they're forever, but sometimes they're not. But but it's learning how to say, hey, I'm worthy of investment, please, that I'd never use that language until a a former student uh, who's now Dr. Caleb Keith at, at IUPUI. He's like, basically, you know, raise your hand please invest in me. I'm like, that's fabulous. And it's quick. Invest in me, please. Corporate America. Yeah. We call that sponsorship. I mean, mentorship. mentorship's a little different, but the sponsorship is I'm not in the room and you're investing in me, you know? And so how do you get that sponsorship? So I love that. Please invest. That's great. It's, it's, it's a, it's request. Yeah. Um, You know, it's, it's one of those with the hands open, invest in me. Well, Rich, Thank you for investing in me for these last 25 years. Um, I've 
I don't know where I'd be without you. And I'm so thankful to have you as a friend and a resource. And um, I, I, uh, I am just thrilled that Beth and I have been able to share you with our audience and more people get to know you and know how great you are and how caring and invested you are in our, the students of our world, not just Thank in you. Arkansas, University of Ozarks. And your three kids are amazing because of what you and your wife have done. And um, big props to Emma and Matthew and Matthew for winning the state championship. Um, one of two great kids and great athletes and and uh, just thank you for hanging with us. And um, anybody wants to learn more about Rich and the University of Ozarks, you can, I encourage you to go to ozarks.edu um, and learn more about the great things that are happening at the University of Ozarks. I've, I've had the pleasure of spending time there and getting to know the people and the students. And um, I, I wish there was a University of Ozarks um, on my radar 30 years ago. So you're doing great things and keep thank it up. You. Appreciate that. I appreciate that. And thanks for uh, letting me be a part of uh, a part of what you're doing. Uh, I look forward to look forward to hearing uh, the final final version. Thanks so much. Rick. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Beth. Nice meeting you. You guys take care. Have a great day, coach. Thanks. Rich. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, that was that was fun. I, I could talk to him all and, and he and I have been friends for a long time. And um, Rich, uh, <laughs> Rich was I think he was, uh, what was his title? Dean of Students at Millican University 25 years ago. Mm. Before then he became vice president before he went to Ozarks. And I was a 23, 24-year-old kid. And he interviewed me for the head baseball coach job at Millican. And he was smart enough not to hire me, but I was, <laughs> and, th and that's kind of where our friendship started. And he's been a mentor and a friend. So what would you think of, our conversation. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, what I find so interesting is, is some of the, these educate a, his background and just kind of what he's trying to do to like help our future, um, societal members is just, I think that's impressive. And then B just with my corporate America mindset, the transferable issues, concerns, considerations, it's all there. And what I love is he's being relevant where he's at, that will, it literally is going to carry those students to the corporate America, like as it's almost their education, the way he's really thinking about curriculum and, and conversations. And then ask, again, I used to do this, you know, a lot with some of the organizations I've worked with, ask me anything type questions. So he's just, it's impressive. So he was great. Yeah. I'm glad that you uh, brought him to our podcast. Yeah. He, I, I, I think the, piggybacking on what you're saying about students going into corporate America and going into the business world. I, I think there can be a culture shock for a lot of young people when they get to corporate America, because it's, it, it often isn't as inclusive. There isn't that ability to raise your hand and say, would somebody invest in me? Would somebody coach me? Would somebody help me? There is, and, and you almost have to go find that person in your company or in your division that actually wants to share, that actually wants to help or grow you. And, and I think we, we kind of lose some of that compassion after we go to college because of that. So I, I, I think it is very relative. And I think there could be a lot more of that in corporate America. And even, even in the education system, kids that leave college and want to go teach, it's just, we kind of forget why we got into it. I agree. I mean, I feel like, 
you know, college, if done right, teaches more than academics. And again, what he's trying to infuse is intentional. And so just having that grit, asking for help and being bold enough, I think, you know, again, going back to what you said is just if you're challenging it, how to how to challenge it and make sure you're as a student, you're getting out of your experience, what you need in a respectful way right. that that's what you're going to have to do. Those are skills that they'll, you'll, they'll, they'll carry you on and, um, and are huge, you know, again, because as you mentioned, you know, you're one of many often when you start in your first job in the world and head down and you're just trying to do it right. But um, finding those people that will, will partner up with you that want the best for you, that, that want to invest in you, that want to see your success. Um, and they can be at all levels. So, you know, it could be peers as you go up, but then also to um, individuals that lead and make big decisions for the organizations as well. So, I mean, just again, transferable, so transferable, which I thought was great. And I love his mindset around having conversations like that healthy discourse. That, that's exactly what we need to continue to do. Yeah. He's just a dream leader. Yeah. You know, it's, it's tough for me. And you and I both have had worked for really great bosses. It's just, I'm always comparing people to Rich and Beth Triplett, who we just talked to. And, and just the, you know, there's a focus, there's a purpose, but there's also, all right, we need to stop and take a step backwards first. Something's not right. We need to have a conversation. We need to have a debate about this before we move forward. And he practices what he preaches. When you step on that campus, the University of Ozarks, everybody's engaged. If yeah. you're not engaged, you are choosing to. You're choosing to be you know, introverted. You're choosing to hide. Um, you're choosing not to speak up because everywhere you turn, somebody's saying, hey, what do you got to say? You know, what, what are you curious about today? And that's a point that he, you know, he made and there's stand-ups every week. So I love that. Love so that. how did you, just going back to what you said at the beginning, he didn't make a hire. So how did you maintain that relationship? You know, how we talked about when we ended, yeah. be invest in me. How did you maintain this relationship since you weren't that, or, and maybe you got hired for another position, but just to tell. I, I didn't, it was, um, we just clicked, you know, you and I both have friends and you and I are like that. We've been like that for 30 years. We might not talk for a year and, you know, my wife and you are like that. All of a sudden, you know, it's like we we've seen each other every day, or we live next door to each other. Um, we've just stayed in contact. Um, and when he was at Millican, I was in St. Louis. We were kind of in that hour and a half, two hours apart, and we would meet for lunch. And whenever mm -hmm. he was driving through St. Louis, he would stop, and we'd meet for lunch. And one of his best friends um, is a is another university guy, John Buck, and in St. Louis. So John hired me at St. Louis University 25 years ago. So there's just that ring, but we've just stayed in touch. Um, and I, he's brought me in to consult. I've consulted with their athletic department and helped them with their recruiting and building their programs. And I, I just work with both of his kids on their, their recruiting process. And so we just, you know, we've, it's been a great balance between us when we need to talk. We need to bounce ideas off each other. We need to vent. We've just, he's kind of been there for each other and it's been a, it's been a pleasure to have him. So that's great. Yeah, that's he's great. great. He's really the real deal. You know, any university would be lucky to have Rich Dunsworth as their president. And I think you could put him in any, any position in corporate America and he would shine, you know, 
Yeah. I mean, easily. He's fantastic. So thanks for bringing him. You betcha. Well, thank you to our listeners. We hope you had as much fun and uh, learned as much as we did. Um, As always, you can find our podcast um, at Apple or Spotify. Um, If you'd like to send us an email, we'd love your feedback. If you have questions, you have comments, you want to tell us everything we're doing wrong, we'd love to hear it. Um, We want to do this better. If you feel like um, there's been podcasts that episodes that have been a little bit more enjoyable for you, or you feel like our questions have been better, or I know we're kind of tweaking things as we go. We'd love to get an email from you to let us know. You can reach us at be significant, B and then the word be significant, the number four and the letter U, be significant for you at gmail.com. Please don't forget to click subscribe. um, So you get our weekly updates when we post a new interview and a new episode. And, and don't forget, don't let life happen to you. Make it happen. Be significant. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time.